Africa is a land with endless stories to tell. From epic battles, brilliant rulers, and the dramatic rise and fall of civilizations, join us on the History of Africa podcast to learn the too often unknown stories of the African continent. From the sands of Cairo to the plains of Zimbabwe, and from the mountains of Ethiopia to the forests of the Congo, find the History of Africa podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Bar Afrique, the show where we tell the unexplored stories of African independence. I'm Lynn Tala. And I'm Sarah Masiwa. And Lynn and I have spent many a night with a cocktail in hand talking about African decolonization. So we figured why not make a podcast out of it. All right, well, let's jump into the story for today. Today we are joined by Andy, who's our guest, which is very exciting because Andy and I are both Zimbabweans. I keep saying I'm like not biased with this podcast, but there's always <laughs> some like Zimbabwean element lurking. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you have to represent where you're from. You we know? do. Yeah. We yeah. do. <laughs> uh, but so it's really exciting to have you on. Um, Andy is born in Blueo, but she lives in New York City. Today we're going to be drinking um, Equino rum. Of all the alcohols we're doing, I think this is probably one of the ones I'm most excited about. Really? Yeah, 100%. I'm not a huge rum drinker. Okay. But Aquino Rum in particular is founded by Ian Burrell, who's based in the UK. And it's really inspired by um, Olwadu Aquino, who was a man who was enslaved during the 1700s. Oh. Um, so he was taken from the African continent to the Caribbean and to various other places. He ended up in the UK. And while he was enslaved, he kind of started this rum business on the side where he was selling rum and he used the funds from that to buy his own freedom. Wow. wow. Um, which is something that I love. So it's really, it's it's a rum that's inspired by him. And I think what's really cool is that $2 from every bottle ends up going to causes wow. um, that are about like, the equality and like upliftment of black people. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So we are going to start with a shot. And while we do that, my question, you walk into a bar, what is your go-to drink? Mine is always a vodka pineapple. Always. I've never had, a, is it good? What? I've that, never I had I live a vodka. by vodka pineapple. Really? Yeah. That's like my go-to. Like since I was like wow. 20 Mine in the club. Mine is either a rum and coke, which I started to love when I studied abroad in Argentina, <laughs> or a gin and tonic, which I started to love when I turned 21. Oh, really? Yeah. My go-to is a gin and tonic, but I'm finding, like, as I get older, I want to order wine in bars. Wow. And it feels very uncool. I have a friend, yeah. who, orders, I have a friend who orders champagne. In At bars? bars? She orders a glass of champagne. Wow. Yeah. I can't do that. That's I always, interesting. Whenever I order a wine in a bar, they look at me funny. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like also, what kind of wine do you get from a bar? Well, I also like, they, they never have, have the good stuff. Yeah. Whatever I they also have. Want, like, <laughs> I also want, like, the cheapest wine. So I'll be like, <laughs> what's your house red? Yeah, exactly. It's like, whoa, is this good wine? And or what what's going on me. here? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, here's to a quino rum. Here's to a quino rum. Yeah. A quino rum. Ooh. Cheers. Oh, wait. 
Oh wow, this is that's really pretty. I like that. I I usually like in it. I taste a little bit of vanilla. I love that. I like it. I usually need like a chaser or a mixer or something when I'm taking a shot, but that just went down just so smoothly. Smoothly. I like it. it yeah. So today we will be focusing on Madagascar. So a country close to my heart because I spent two years there. Mm. Um, I graduated high school in Madagascar, actually. Oh, that's so interesting. Yes, I met my two best friends in Madagascar. Wow. So I am very happy to be doing this story because it's something that's not really well known. Mm -hmm. So Madagascar has a population today of 23.43 million. Okay. And it is located on the Indian Ocean. Um, to start this story, I think it's important to know that... Um, Basically, French resentment on the island had been bubbling since the French had used military po power to annex the royal palace in 1894 after a few failed attempts to gain authority over the entire island. And so the queen at the time, her name was Queen Ranavaluna III, and she'd ruled between 1883 and 1987, actually, and was allowed to remain as a figurehead until the rebellion, there was one rebellion called the um, Menalamba Rebellion, which happened, and she was actually held responsible for it, which I think she actually had nothing to do with it. In and a good way or like a bad way? Like held so basically, the Menalamba Rebellion, they were sort of like the precursor of what would be like an independence rebellion mm. type thing. Okay. Listen, French rule on that island, people did not want it. They didn't want it at all. Literally beginning in 1894. Right. Um, and so when that happened, the French basically exiled her to the island of La Réunion, which is now basically like an overseas French territory. And they exiled, exiled her in 1897. Okay. And so basically that rebellion was like the first manifestation of everything else that's, that was going to happen on that island. Um, so during World War One and World War Two. The Malagasy people were basically forced into this um, conscription. They were basically forced to fight for the French during World War I and World War II. And then the Vichy government, for people who don't know, is the French government that collaborated with the Nazis, was actually established oh. in Madagascar after the Germans defeated the French army. Um, and then at the same time, the Battle of Madagascar was going on. Um, between the British and the Vichy government. So the Malagasy people were going through a lot of shit at that time. Oh, in Madagascar. Gosh. In Madagascar. So they were fighting each other in, in Madagascar. Madagascar. While you've got all these people just living their lives and minding their business. Yeah. So they're going through a whole lot of shit with these Western countries on mm. their own on island. On their own land. On their own land. Uh. And so by the end of the Second World War, um, Malagasy political leaders... They wanted independence. They're like, at this point, it's too much. We I can't think it's do time. this no more. Exactly. It's yeah. time for us to be I'm doing tired. our own thing. <laughs> Literally, they were like, can we stop? Maybe it's time for us to take things in our own hands. Yeah. And so they tried to do that through legal means. And so it was led by three men who were part of the Malag Malagasy's first national assembly. Their names, Joseph Ravauangi. Jose, um, Joseph Razetta and Jacques Rabe Mananjara. Hmm. I thought you say it with a friend. I know. I'm like, did you practice this? Yeah. If it was yeah, me, I'd be like, Joseph Rabe I was like, I think 
that's like good pronunciation. Thank but you. I'm not French, so I don't know. But I Malagasy names are really hard to pronounce. So I was like, you know what? I want to make sure I'm doing good by these good people. On yeah. You. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they were also members of Mad- Madagascar's first political party. Um, in French, it's called Le Mouvement Démocratique de la Rénovation Malgache, basically the Democratic Movement for the Renovation of Madagascar. They were mostly made up of marina people from the Central Highlands who are mostly of Indo- Indonesian origins. Um, one thing to know about Madagascar, it's they're basically of different origins from like Asia, right. Africa. Like if you see them, they don't look like your typical mainland Africans. No. Um, because they've got all of these origins from different um, countries. Yeah. And basically what these three men did is they submitted a bill to the French, basically asking the French to grant them independence from French, but the French were not having it. No. They were not having it. Colonizers. <laughs> As I can imagine, asking your colonizer. Yeah. To like, they were like, you. I have my land back. Yeah. The MDRM were like, you know what? No. Maybe we should go through <laughs> legal means. Maybe they'll be nice. Maybe they'll right. give us. A- the French were not having no. it. Meanwhile, they're asking for something that was already theirs. Exactly. Yeah. And so, at the same time that like they submitted this bill, there was another Madag- Malagasy political party that was like being established, called the Party of Madagascar's Disinherited People. And so, they'd been founded by this man named Philibert Tiranan. And so, what they were very pro-French Malagasy people who made up who are made up of the people on the coast who were opposed to independence out of fear that the marina people would take power and basically use them as slaves as they had before before in 1895. Can I ask like what is the makeup of Madagascar in this moment? Like what like are the native people of Madagascar in majority are they they are in majority okay yeah um they are in majority at this time but there's always been like very interesting divisions between the coast the people on the coast Mm -hmm. um if you travel around the country a lot you will see that the people on the coast especially on the west are much darker than the ones from the center now what is like their native language malagasy malagasy yes i don't think i've ever heard anybody speak Malagasy. The thing is, Madagascar is like, I think the fact that it's an island very much separated from the actual continent mm-hmm. makes it so hard for people. Like, I remember when I was moving there for the first time, people didn't know what it was. Right. I didn't know what it was the first time I what moved What Madagascar there. was? I knew what it was, but it was just like sort of more of a foreign concept than the countries on the mainland because mm-hmm. it was an island. Right. You yeah. know, and they're considered Africans, but they don't really, all of them don't really look like the people on the mainland. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting country, I, I think. Um, and so basically this other um, political party, basically PADSM was also um, created, very much pro-French. And so I want to say this is where a lot of the trouble started to happen. The French, specifically um, the socialist prime minister named Paul Ramadier and the minister of the colonies named Marius Motet, believed that Madagascar asking for independence was basically a blow to their prestige and authority. Hmm. They were embarrassed that they had to ask 
the UK to yield the island after the Second World War. I feel like that's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it <laughs> is. It yeah. is. They were yeah. so embarrassed like, and what? like, yeah. so embarrassed that like Madagascar asking for their independence was like, oh my gosh, they're trying to take our power away. Right. They're trying to mm. embarrass yeah. us in front of all these other countries. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they were afraid that the UK and South Africa would try to make a move on Madagascar. Which mm. is a fair thing to be afraid of. And yeah. to be I honest, feel. I think it's very valid. They were scared. Like, yeah. they yeah. were really yeah. paranoid with, like, what other countries were trying to do with Madagascar. And the minister of the colonies was so angry with the fact that these three men had proposed, like, a, a bill to ask for independence that he basically declared war on the independence movement. Wow. I don't like this because I feel from what I'm understanding from what you've said, they were very respectful. Yeah. That's the thing that like really blows my mind about the beginning of the story is that like they were really trying to do this in the most amicable peaceful, way, yeah. amicable, yeah. legal way. And I say that in quotes because at that point, legality was made up by the French. Yeah. Yep. Um, so these guys are asking you, can we be independent? Like, can we do this ourselves? You know, yeah. we fought for you, World War One. We fought for you, World War Two. I think it's time for us to just do our own thing. <laughs> I think a lot about like what, the role that like World War II played in a lot of independence movements. Cause I feel like, like my dad tells me the story about this guy that lived in his village when mm -hmm. he was a kid mm -hmm. and he kind of would come to my dad and be like, I fought in Burma. Mm -hmm. My dad was like, I don't know where Burma is. <laughs> like, but it's these people that were like uprooted from, you know, they'd never traveled outside you know, Madagascar, like their specific yeah. village. Mm -hmm. yeah. They go to fight for these, you know, these imperial powers. Yeah. And they meet Indians and, you know, people from the USA. And you kind of see like the scope of like, oh my gosh, the thing that they've done in my village, they've done across the entire, entire world. The entire world. world. You know, and yeah. I think a lot about like how, like how expansive that is for like someone who's coming back like to madagascar yeah. being mm -hmm. like i fought with indians and they're saying that the same shit is happens. happening over there yeah yeah or like you're fighting for these western powers you go home and they still treat you absolutely shitty yeah mm. you know like it's like you force me to fight this fight for you, but you... But you're still disrespecting You're still disrespecting me yeah. in mm. insane ways. That's And like, wild. when the French had declared basically war on a movement for independence, <laughs> the U.S. was basically like, oh, no, that's not good. But they didn't do shit. Right. They basically just sat there, were like, you know what, this... They just said, this is bad. <laughs> and then they went back to whatever they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Shout out to our listeners from the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and basically what happened is that, like, this rejection really caused a lot of uproar on the island. And it really radicalized a lot of leaders who were um, militant nationalist groups in Madagascar. People were not happy. Like, can you just yeah. imagine 
And I understand how they would feel. Like you're going through all of these things that you think yeah. are legal right. to ask for what you want. Mm. And then they get angry at you for asking in a legal way mm. for your own independence of a country that was already yours. A country that mm. was already yours. Was already yours, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. how do you think the people would feel? Mm. And so the three men who proposed that bill, they basically realized that a lot of people were feeling this way were feeling very angry and wanting to do something. Right. So what they did is that like they released a joint statement on March 27th, 1947, asking the public to remain calm. They were like, they were basically Sorry. like, calm I know, down. I understand. They were we like, know you calm want your down. We know, exactly. We know but you're angry. And they down. were like, relax. Um, they just didn't want these people to sabotage <laughs> the work That's that their crazy. Um, political party, the MDRM, was doing to gain peaceful independence. Mm. You know, that did not go over well. Can you, like, I that mean, did not go over well. anyone who's ever been told to relax. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what? I think the last thing you want to tell people who are already pretty angry and amped up is to tell them to relax. Right. And so doing that basically just sort of fired them up a little bit more. Yeah, I would and be so pissed too. At the same time that this statement came out, there were two secret societies that had formed on the tide of this like anti-colonialist movement. Mm. They were called Panama, the Malagasy National Patriots, and Chini, which was named you know, after a red bird that would flutter um, around the country. Any so, relation to Panama, Panama? None. Okay, cool. <laughs> And so they wanted to seize independence by force, you know? Mm -hmm. And so this man named Janois, who was Ginny's founder in the south of Madagascar, is actually one of the few nationalist leaders to actually acknowledge his responsibility in, you know, starting what I'm going to be talking about, the Malagasy uprising mm. oh. that the French called as called a rebellion, but the Malagasy themselves called an event. Mm. And so, and I quote, he said, my ancestors were killed during the French occupation, shot by Senegalese firing squads. I had to fight to avenge my father. I was angry. I told myself, we went to France, fought the Germans, defended France, the country of the French. Why aren't we defending our own country? Mm. Let's stand up and be counted. Let's abolish forced labor. I call the people out on strike. And so two days later, after that statement, two days later, March 29th, the night before Palm Sunday, basically the Malagasy's surprise attacked a bunch of French settlers. Oh, no. Yeah. About... 2,000 of them launched a well-organized uh, attack on French plantations on, and military bases in the cities of Manankara and Muhumang, which are on the east. And basically, this attack spread throughout the central and southern parts of the country. 200 French soldiers were killed, and more than two-thirds of the country was under nationalist control by that time. The French were not expecting it at all. And so a lot of historians say that like these nationalist groups were influenced to escalate the conflict through a um, violent attack because of false information that they were given by a group that was later revealed to have close secret ties to the national police. And honestly, this part could be a whole episode on its own. Yeah. And so many of the people who joined the rebellion were demoralized um, soldiers of the Tirailleurs Malgache, which basically are 
are the ones, the soldiers who fought in World War II, mm -hmm. the Malagasy soldiers who fought in World War II. And they were frustrated with the limited recognition and opportunity basically afforded to them by the French colonial government. Right. You know, like there's a lot of resentment that was already building up with them. Mm -hmm. And so the rebel provisional government followed a policy of total war. Basically, they instructed all their civilians under their control to assist in the war efforts by producing weapons, whether it was spears or machetes. This is the French or the, the Malagasy? Malagasy. Okay. Yes, they were asking all their civilians to basically like help with this war. Like, right. mm. we deserve, they were basically saying that we deserve this independence. Mm. And so they were asking them to assist with like providing weapons, uniforms, food for the rebels, mm. and building air shelters to protect them from the airstrikes that, was, that were happening from the French, right? And so... When this first attack happened on the night before Palm Sunday, the French had no idea. Like they were, when I say they were too stunned to speak, I mean it. <laughs> like that night, these guys were, these settlers were just chilling. Chilling. Yeah. Chilling. Out. It was a Saturday night. Like, you know, they were just chilling. Mm. Can you imagine just seeing these Malagasy rebels coming to you in single file line with these spears just coming at you they had no idea mm. yeah that this was this resentment was building up mm -hmm. because again they're not thinking about that yeah right they're thinking about their own interests after world war one and world war two right and so it really caught them by surprise and they weren't able to organize in time to contain the uprising mm. however by may 1947 like all of that changed they were like you know what these people are trying to gain independence and we're not having that mm. and so by the end of july North African battalions, um, you know, um, conscripted by the French, arrived in Madagascar, and the number of troops fighting for the French went from 18,000 in April 1947 to 30,000 in 1940. So these are other Africans fighting other Africans? Yes, for like the this. French. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, and that's like one this. of the things that is so crazy to me that like they were the french were really able to get other people from their other colonies to come and fight the malagasy and also i think it's important to remember that at the beginning of the uprising the french authorities were supporting the padesm which was the other political party that was very pro france you know mm -hmm. because they didn't want the other political party to have power because they had enslaved them oh, it's sounding like the hutus and the Tutsi. yeah i know rwanda really yes <laughs> so remember the md drm are marina people who had enslaved people from the coast who made up the padesm were these other people a different tribe yes okay mm. so just so i mean, i have this right yes there's two political Yes. Mm -hmm. The one that submitted the bill. Yes. Which is anti-colonialism. Yes. Yes. Has enslaved the other party. Yes. And the other party is pro-French. Is pro-French. Mm -hmm. But they don't want the end. They don't want independence. They don't want independence. So it's very complicated. They didn't want to be enslaved again. So they decide, they believe that being pro-French would help prevent them, them would from prevent being them being enslaved oh, again I see. like they and, were before yeah and are they like what is the demographics of the two different ones like is one the one that's being enslaved they're from the coast they're a lot of people from madagascar who are from the coast are much darker oh colorism, colorism. <laughs> 
It's all adding up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah. And so yeah. the French had supported them at the beginning of the uprising and had actually accused the MDRM of launching the uprising to establish marina rule again so that they could be the enslavers again, you know? So they just, the P, the PADSM didn't want that anymore. So they were very much pro-French because of that. Okay. And so the French were like, you know what, let's take this opportunity to 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 support them because it gives us an in in the country okay you know and so 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 now you have um other africans from different african countries fighting against these malagasy people and then you also have other madagascans fighting against the coastal people exactly Mm. exactly and the french exactly and by and so the the fact that the french were were aligning themselves with um the p-a-d-e-s-m um, they wanted to cast themselves as basically like a champion of the oppressed. The you know? French? A champion of the oppressed. The French are the champion exactly. of the oppressed. Exactly. They used that. And so the French were like, you know what? Let's take this opportunity to align ourselves with these people so that it's easier for us to gain more power in this country. Okay. So, so we they're do- pushing us against each other. Eggs. That's literally what it was. I don't you like said literally. It. I don't like I literally didn't don't like this either. <laughs> these like people are pretty this. smart. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> These people are like, we want to fight them, but we also want to pit them against each other. Exactly, yeah. because it was an easier way for the French to maintain control in some way yeah. of yeah. Madagascar. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important to talk about the French response to this uprising because okay. it was brutal. Even though they were surprised by this, they decided that they were going to go all out. They were going to fight on both the physical and psychological fronts and engage and literally engage in a variety of terror tax tactics that were um designed to demoralize the population like what what they did they captured nationalist rebels and subjected them to torture rape mass executions and they carried out a lot of collective punishment and burned and burned a lot of villages can you can talk you- about for a second what collective punishment is basically what that means is that oh these people are doing a lot of bad things against us. We're going to punish all of you. Even if you were minding your own business, we are going to punish all Can of you. Can you imagine sitting at home and then someone just coming to like barricade your house because your neighbor was acting yeah. out? And imagine you yeah. like don't even like your neighbor. You don't even like your neighbor. Like you went to ask your neighbor for salt and your neighbor was like, um, hell no. And yeah, then yeah, now yeah, all like, of a sudden you're like, Joseph is an idiot. <laughs> And then you get in trouble for that. Isn't that insane? Collective punishment is just... It's the craziest thing to me. It's ridiculous. It's not okay. The French were like... we. They were... I think it was also the embarrassment of the fact that they they got the surprise attacks. They were like, nah, we have to make sure that they know they can't do this shit again to us. And then... I have a question for you. Do you think that... Initially, when they went to ask for independence and the French were like, um, no, do you think that a part of it as well was like, okay, we need to control and maintain our colonies because if we grant them independence, then our other colonies are going to feel like they want to do the same thing. 100%. This is 1947. Yeah. Countries didn't gain independence until like it was like unknown for, to do Ethiopia, such a thing you know yeah, Ethiopia like had the their 60s. own thing going on until yeah. the 60s this yeah. is 19 
47 yeah. after mm. World War II, where basically they went back and did a re-scramble for Africa. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So Can you was, imagine? Like, it's a way of keeping control. Exactly. They just yeah. wanted to keep control. Yeah. And honestly, it didn't stop there. I remember on May 6, 1947, 1947, in the city of Muhumang, which is on the east side of the country, French soldiers basically machine gunned MDRM officials detained in wagons, killing between 124 and 160 Malagasy. Wow. Most of them unarmed. That's terrible. Eight, and then um, in Mananjari, which is another city in the same area, hundreds of Malagasy were killed. Among them, 18 women and a group of prisoners were thrown alive out of planes. What? They death threw flights. them out of they planes? They call things death flights. I just want to say that the, the logistics behind taking a plane, that is putting like, people into the plane, yeah. and then flying it, and then throwing them out. Isn't that the craziest thing? My thing is, like, these people, like, do they know they're flying to their death? That is awful. That's the... I've not never all. heard of that. Isn't it? When I was reading that, I... I had to pause. They threw I people out of planes. They you, threw can you, people out of planes. Like the when I was reading that, I had to pause. Guys, that's too much. I had never heard that in my life. Oh man! They call those death flights. That's awful. Isn't that insane? That's really like I just feel like it takes. This sounds crazy, but it just takes so much work and planning. What's a good we're gonna charter idea. a plane. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna we're put, gonna, them, like, we're put like diesel, gasoline, and then, gasoline yeah, and then we're gonna have to plane. pay for the diesel. We're gonna get a pilot, yeah. and then the yeah. pilot's sitting there like, what the like, what's happening here? Can you imagine? Like, they take you think you're taken prisoner, but then you're thrown off a fucking plane. I have a fear of flying, um, and this is not gonna help. These Malagasy people, they did not have like the machine guns or the weapon power that the French had. So they were fighting with spears and mm. machetes and the things that they could have, the things that they could, you know, had was accessible to them. Yeah. So these yeah. French are machine gun killing them with all these guns, throwing them out of airplanes. Like at that point, it's like, what are you going to do? It's unfair. Mm. It's, un it's, it's a very unfair flight. Yeah. So now are, are people saying basically, okay, Malagasy people kind of brought this on themselves because, like, they provoked the French. And that's something we're going to talk about in part two. We're oh. going to be right back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we're back. Um, we are drinking. So we've been drinking a Quino rum. Um, we've made some cocktails. Super easy to make. It is um, ginger ale with a little bit of lime juice. A slice of lime and a quin of rum. Wonderful! It's yeah. a really good drink. It, it is a really very good. Drink. Drink. I like it. And I'm gonna say, like a quin of rum, like met my expectations. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. it Honestly, goes down really exceeded my expectations because really? I'm not really a rum girl. Oh. Like I think, like I would do like Malibu here and there, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, I don't like this. But this is like really doing it for me. I really like it. I really I like agree. how smooth it is. 
I agree. It's yeah. very, it goes down very easily, which is very, very dangerous because I'm like, I've drank a lot of this. I know. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's going to get you. Yeah, it's yeah, going to eventually gonna get you. About um, two thirds into this episode, <laughs> I will black out. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. we're talking about the Malagasy uprising. Yeah. Um, and Lynn, you can just jump into it. Okay, awesome. So at this point, you know, the French had a little bit of an upper hand military-wise, weapon-wise. So by this time, they're able to, like, push the rebels back a little bit into the forest and stuff like that because of that military power, even though the Malagasy were able to, you know, win that those first attacks because it was such a surprise, they didn't have the military power. Mm. And so between July and September 1948, a lot of the key leaders of the uprising were captured or killed, mm. you know? And as the uprising went on, rebel groups were further fragmented. You know, they had to keep, they had to retreat. They didn't have the power to keep going. And so the last rebel stronghold called Sia Hombazan, which means that which is inaccessible to Europeans, hmm. oh. fell on November 1948. That's a wow. strong name. Can what you is imagine? it called? Sia. It's called Sia Zumba Bazana. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And the and the remaining nationalist fighters had they were defeated at that point. Mm-hmm. They had been left defeated that the, all they could do was retreat back into the forest. There was nothing else that they could do. And the last rebel leader, Joseph Halaivu, another prominent rebel leader, was captured February 1949, which basically marked the end of the uprising. Mm. So, so how long did it last? So let's say, nine, um, you know, 1947, early 1947. To 1949. To early 1949. Wow. Mm. And so what happened is that, like, remember the MDRM who put out that statement? Um, they were the ones who were anti-colonialism. They were anti- mm-hmm. anti-colonialism. Okay. The so, other Madagascan. Exactly. Yeah. But they, they mm-hmm. enslaved the other Their uh, counterpart. The, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so what we're happened living is that, in the gray. Exactly. <laughs> and despite yeah. the fact that they had yeah. put out that statement about like asking people to remain <clears throat> calm and all of that stuff, they were still blamed for the revolt by the French. Yeah. The French still blamed them for the fact that the uprising happened. They still wanted independence, mm-hmm. but they wanted it through legal and peaceful means. Right. Which is the reason why they put out that statement in 1947. Yes. Mm-hmm. But these nationalist groups were like, no, we have to take this independence by force. Which you you can't blame them for, you can't. right? Because yeah. I think when you see, you've seen another group put forward like a peaceful route to, mm-hmm. to independence and mm-hmm. it clearly hasn't worked yeah so you can't really blame them for like kind of trying to explore more radical means exactly yeah, yeah. but still the mdrm were the fr- the first people that the french ended up blaming um and basically what the french did is they banned them from madagascar in night in may literally after the uprising happened the french banned them from madagascar okay. can you imagine banning a Malagasy political movement from their own country. Like, it, well, they were like, so everybody M- in MDRM basically mm. were forbidden from, like, pursuing any sort of, like, political, oh. anything that had to do with their party. Because the French were like, nah, you started this shit. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do anything when it's like, they're the ones who put out the statement telling people to stay calm. Yeah. yeah. You know? 
And so the French were also really, really suspicious that this political party, the MDRM, were working with the British. Right. And um, 77 members of the MDRM, the political party that the French blamed for the uprising, were arrested and charged with conspiracy against the state and endangering national security in a large public trial. Can you imagine? Uh, Which state are they endangering at that point? Their Um, own state? You know, it's actually insane. I think France's paranoia really got the best of them with the Malagasy uprising. Mm -mm. And so at the end of this uprising, like I said, it ended in February 1949. The number of casualties keeps changing. Mm. Um, the French government first of um, their official numbers basically estimated that the number of Malagasy who were killed in the conflict was 89,000 that's um, very high that's very yeah. high yeah. in 1949 the high commissioner of Madagascar estimated that more than 100,000 Malagasy were killed that's a, no I mean either way it keeps getting it's higher very high. it literally keeps getting higher what is the population of Madagascar again 43.23 million it's, I mean, 23.43 million. Can you imagine? <laughs> Either way, it's very high. It's very high in 1949. Mm. That's a high number and it keeps changing. Wow. And then in 1950, the colonial administration revised the casualty number to 11,342 known dead. From 89,000. No. To known dead. That's basically them trying to cover their tracks at that oh, point. Oh, yeah, 100%. They're trying to cover their tracks. Yeah. yeah. How do you go from 89,000 to 11-something? Mm. What? That's insane. And at this, historians still don't know what the actual number is. And the rebels were actually responsible for the deaths of 550 French nationals, 350 of whom were soldiers and about... 1,900 Malagasy people. Mm. And then, so what happened is that, like, mm. they didn't believe that the MDRM had nothing to do with it, which they actually had nothing to yeah. do with it. Yeah. They had mm-hmm. nothing to do with it, you know? Yeah. And so the, the two of the, the three men who had submitted the bill well, received death sentences, and then the other one received a life sentence during, like, the public trial that the French were having. And um, Havawiangi and Hazeta had their sentences reduced to life imprisonment in 1949. So all of them had life sentences. How kind. <laughs> How kind. No, honestly. <laughs> and then they ended up having, they, were en- they ended up getting amnesty in 1958. At the end, the French court actually arrested 5,800 Malagasy people, and 129 of them were sentenced to death. Mm. Mm. Isn't that crazy? It's really sad. It's It's really really sad. sad. And so today, like... Wait, so hold on. Is that the end? That's basically what happened. What? Yes. I thought that they were going to, like, get independence. So they they ended up joining the... So what happened is that after this uprising, I I guess the Malagasy were like, you know what? It's not worth it. Yes, we These can't French do this had anymore. more power. Yeah. And they ended up joining the French community. Uh-huh. And, and then it wasn't happened? until 1960 that they gained independence. Really and so they sad. waited yeah. until 1960 to be able to gain their independence. Mm. Wow. Yeah. They just waited. That's really sad. And the thing is that, like, 
The same leaders who proclaimed um, Madagascar's independence in 1960 were those who had um, been major players in the APADSM political party. That was the front, the pro-French political party. Yeah, mm. they're the ones who ended up being able to gain independence in 1960. Yeah, so there's a lot of like complicated feelings. Yeah, a lot between of you know, first you were pro-French, and then somehow you were the ones to gain to gain independence. Mm. You know, like 10, 15 years later. Yeah. So it's like, how do you reconcile that? Yeah. So my question was, do you feel like?、Um, Our generation right now is dealing with the trauma of colonization. I very that's good a、question. really good question.、Yeah. I think that personally, for me, I'm trying to understand where we, how we got to where we are today.、Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard. Especially, and I'm thinking about the way that we're like all reacting to these stories that we're hearing. That there is so much that we still don't know about.、Mm, right, right. There is so much that we still don't know about, and that we still need to process. Yeah. And I can't even imagine like what our parents or grandparents know exactly, or what they don't know. You know, there is so much about like the process of decolonization, or for these countries to gain independence, that like. We don't know.、Mm. Yeah, Andy, what made you ask that question? I asked that question because during 2020, during COVID, I started going to therapy and I started learning a lot about how my childhood has like impacted how I live my life and how I was parented、mm-hmm. is impacting my life basically.、Mm-hmm. So if I'm thinking back, like two, three generations, these are people. Who went through some like traumatic, like extremely、exactly. traumatic issues, right?、Mm-hmm. So、yeah. it's like you're like sitting in your home and you're having somebody who does not look like you, or somebody probably you haven't even seen somebody who looks like that,、mm-hmm. and they're coming and they're saying, you know what? I've decided that this is my land now, and you're having to fight for your land and all that stuff. So it's like, how? How does that impact you, like as a person, psychologically, and how does that trickle down to generations later? Yeah,、mm. we speak about things like slavery and colonization as if these—I mean, they are things that happened years ago,、yeah. right? But it's like these are things that have repercussions for future generations because、mm. they impact us on such a psychological. In such a psychological way that it impacts the generations to come after.、Mm. Yeah, you know. So it's like right now, it's like I'm thinking about the Malagasy people. There's probably someone who's sitting in Madagascar right now whose great grandfather was、exactly. thrown out of an airplane. Yeah, and they hear those stories through their grandmother, through their great grandmother, and the stories are just being passed down. Like, how do you? How do you reconcile? How do you reconcile that? that, and how do you sit with that? How do you sit with that? How do you that's sit with that? That's a good question.、That? Yeah, it's yeah. like I don't know. It's like it's a、uh, these actions what were that were performed by these countries years ago are still impacting generations today, and you're having to, you know, subconsciously not like resent. People right now because、yeah. of things that happened in the past.、Yeah. I mean, Does that make sense? I feel like this podcast is a manifestation of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lynn and I spoke a lot about like kind of 
why we wanted to do this, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was telling her, I was like, I kind of feel like, I'm going to be honest, I feel a lot of fury. Yeah. Like, I'm so much. I'm very angry about, like, kind of, you know, I hear these things and kind of like what happens and, mm-hmm. and, and you can't suppress the fury. But no. I, I, what's, what's kind of guiding me is like this idea of like turning fury to fascination, mm-hmm. right? The least we can do is like learn, exactly. right? Yeah, and understand. Yeah. And yeah. the rest we'll figure out. But I agree. The least we can do is just like, you know what? I, I'm Zimbabwean, but... I should learn about Madagascar and and yeah. you should have and I what should, they went through yeah. and and when I'm done I should connect the dots between okay like what what are the commonalities between Madagascar which was colonized by the French and Zimbabwe which was colonized by the exactly. British and, and and how they ended up and and kind of see what the bigger picture is I completely yeah. agree you know and I and we should kind of start to turn like this anger that we should feel you know, into a fascination about like what we can, what we can feel, you yeah, know, like, yeah. and you um, know, where we yeah. can go. And wrapping this up, kind of how, how are we feeling? How are we doing? It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, you like, like, I started going to therapy and my therapist <laughs> has a lot cut out for her. Um, no, I'm gonna be like, coming. Yeah, it's like, it's a lot that, I don't know like I just feel like you know and I think that that's why I really love this concept and I really love this podcast because like when you are telling people about colonialism and you're telling them about the Malagasy uprising and stuff like that it kind of helps people you know understand a little bit or realize a little bit like sometimes why as a people, we do things the way that we, we do. do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So it's part of your own story and a part of your own history, basically. Mm. So I don't know. It's a lot, the story that you said. Yeah. But I think it's an appropriate story to tell, especially right now. And I think it's it's going to help and benefit a lot of people. Yeah. You know? I feel like I could talk about this all day. I know. Yeah. We could go on and yeah. on and on. Yeah. Um, but Andy, we're incredibly grateful to have you Thank on. Thank you so much Thank for coming you guys. to join Thank us. you for having me. This yeah. was like a blast. I'm like, should oh, I start my own podcast? You should. You should. And when you do, invite us on. I know. I hope there's alcohol involved in that podcast too. We'll give you some Aquino rum to Oh, thanks guys. Appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining us. very, very grateful to you. Thank Lynn, you. You're amazing. Um, you are amazing. <laughs> we're going to end it today. Um, but yeah, tune in for our next episode.